Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Y'all, I am in it right now. Oh my God. I'm standing in my closet where I normally do my recording and it might sound different because instead of clothing surrounding me, absorbing sound, I now have boxes and a lot more empty space that is not absorbing sound. So I am in the midst of moving, as I don't know if I've mentioned on the show yet, but I, so (laughs) I am like totally bonkers nutso right now and cannot do anything of worth (laughs) to accomplish anything. And yet here I am recording this intro because the show must go on and I'm trying to figure out a way to be kind to myself, not show up perfectly, but also feel like I am providing the same level of service and love that I always try to provide in these podcast episodes. So I'm just telling you this because normally I have at least a little capacity to filter myself. And right now I have zero. So I'm just telling you I'm in it. And the only thought little nugget of wisdom that I can share right now is just so personal because this is all I can focus on. So I'm moving from a place that I've lived in for 13 years. I just had my 20 year Chicago anniversary and I'm moving outside of Chicago. I think I've mentioned before here that I'm in the process of selling my business. And the thing that is just killing me right now is I was telling my therapist, like, have you ever been in a taxi with a driver who really loves the brake pedal and you just kind of keep like you go and then you like jerk because they hit the the brake pedal? That's what it feels like constantly, like this past month with trying to get move details worked out and construction on the new home and selling my business. And all of these, of course, are very, very privileged things for me to be dealing with. And so I completely recognize that. And I have a right to feel absolutely bonkers. And it's really challenging. And it's so interesting because it's bringing up a lot of like, I can feel these childhood wounds coming to the surface, but I can't exactly name what they are. But there are things around being uncomfortable and not having control of your space. It's just like, all kinds of weird shit that I just, I just, this is just where I am. (laughs) So I am not going to apologize because my editor, Andrea, always says, don't apologize for things, but I am just real and 100%. This is all I have right now. But I'm just thinking about, you know, these big life changes that are happening for me. And internally, I'm done. Like I am done with the place that I'm living in right now. I'm ready to move on, but we have this brake pedal that keeps happening. I'm really done running head heart therapy right now, but for many myriad reasons, business sales take a long time. And so there's just all this stopping and starting and 
I'm trying to be with like the end of the cycle is here. I know that internally. I feel that also my, you know, 20 year anniversary of living in Chicago, that cycle is done too. I'm moving to a nearby suburb and that's what's happening internally. And yet externally, it's all this stop start. So I'm just, I am just trying to ride the wave. And let me tell you right in this moment, I'm drowning. I had a full on temper tantrum this morning because our move plans got changed. But at any rate, this is me being superhuman, not superhuman, but super human and sharing with you all the stuff. So who knows what chaos will join us uh, for intros in the next couple episodes as I try to relocate myself, resituate uh, a place where we can record future podcasts. So thank you for being gracious with me. I know that y'all are very supportive and I know, no, no, that you are going to absolutely fall in love with today's guest because I fell in love with her the first second I heard her speak and I was like, I'm very excited to (laughs) have hung out with Rusia Mohudan. The people are the source of all power. Rusia's mother raised her children with this as a foundation for understanding the world and what united peoples were capable of doing. Rusia N. Mohudan, based in New York, is a master trainer, facilitator, and somatic coach who pioneered the integration of somatics into an organizing framework. Her current mission through Universal Partnership has been developing a holistic model for social justice change work that places it in its center, the necessary transformation of social change agents. So please enjoy my wonderful conversation with Rusia Mohudin. Hello, Rusia. Hello, my friend. How are you? Good. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Yeah. You're in New York, right? I am in New York, yes. That New York sound that I love. I do have a New York accent. And um, uh-huh. I have a potty mouth like a, a true New Yorker yes. as well. Well, then, yes, we are going to get along quite well today. <laughs> so, Inshallah. Yeah. Would you mind introducing yourself and letting folks know who you are? Sure. Um, my name is Rusia Mohudin. I'm the principal of Universal Partnership and the co-director, co-founder of the Mukti Foundation. And in those capacities, I service our movements. And I can't wait to dig in and hear your journey to get there and all the cool stuff you're doing. But just to kind of give listeners a background. So I've been raving about this embodied social justice course that I've been doing with Rev. Angel Kyoto Williams, and you were one of the speakers there. And literally, as soon as you came on the screen and opened your mouth, I was like, I am interested in everything you have to say, just your vibe, everything that you bring to your work. You clearly are, your heart and your soul is in it. And I just resonated with that so brilliantly. You're too kind. Thank you. I enjoyed those sessions. Yeah. It was a good crew. Yeah, it's a good crew. And it's a really, man, it's been such a deep and rich experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you got a chance to go back and listen to it. I hope it sort of inspired and generated a lot of ideas to really rethink how we're aligning ourselves with this sort of universally reliant order that we exist in here on this living planet. Yeah. Well, first of all, how do you encapsulate what it is that you do? Like, how do you 
Like some people will say, I am a therapist. I am a, th- I'm an organizational consultant. Like how, what's your, your title for yourself? It's a really good question. Like most things in my life, I don't do things typically. So I guess in a lot of ways, technically I'm a consultant. I have a national consulting practice, which is like just a super fancy way of saying I work for myself. Yep. More than anything else. Um, yep. But unlike consultants, I run programming. So I have annual retreats that I do. I run a two-year teacher training program that's in its sixth year now. I've created a new model for community organizing called embodied organizing. So I do a whole bunch of sort of trainings around increasing the efficacy of community organizing by being in whole service to community organizers on the front line. So a little takes embodied leadership. It has a somatic framework and it uses, the model uses mindfulness practices, contemplative practices to really center the humanity of the person doing the work Mm -hmm. rather than centering the labor of the person doing the work. Mm-hmm. So I piloted it for five to seven years and we officially launched in 2019. So I've been doing a bunch of Leo trainings. So that makes me an atypical consultant. I don't just do gigs with organizations. I do various right. other things that typically like an intermediary would do, mm. like an intermediary organization that does training and development, individual, collective, et cetera. And how did you get here? Yeah, I mean, I got here like most of us get here, particularly in New York, I think. This might be a New York thing. I started as a frontline organizer. I did that for about a decade. Then I led a bunch of organizations, founded two organizations. And then the last organization that I founded was a national intermediary, was incredibly effective for about three to four years and then we hit this sort of peak right where a lot of people wanted to give us money we needed to expand to sort of reach more people and then we hired a bunch of folks but i found that some of the ways that i sort of like to do the work that is sort of really grounded in my values and my principles around authenticity and embodied leadership was not necessarily shared with everyone in the organization Hmm. so after a lengthy seven years we parted ways and i've been doing this since and i don't have to compromise on myself for anyone i can i'm free to create i have a robust reputation in the movement (laughs) so people trust me trust Mm -hmm. me to pilot new methodologies with them so I've been incredibly fortunate and blessed, I have to say. And it sounds like you put in all the work, too. So it's not just like, oh, magic, I showed up here, but you you did it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. A lot of really, a lot of really hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're an artist, too, right? I don't call myself an artist. Really? No, not at all. I'm not formally trained at all. Looking at your Instagram, you could have fooled me. My art is, I use it. For self-care. It's the act of bursting something new into the world that allows me to sort of, you know, figuratively put my hair down, create something at my own pace, 
use colors the way I like to. It's a quality that I inherited from my mother, who was a natural artist and a trained artist. Hmm. So all my siblings, I don't think my brother is the greatest artist, but all, all of us are natural. <laughs> no offense. Not, not no offense. He has many other talents, I promise you. Yeah. But the yeah. three sisters, the three of us, yeah, we just got this really beautiful gift from my, from our mother. Hmm. Thank you. I appreciate you shouting that out. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you want, we can tag it, make sure, sure that other people see it too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what I'm always curious, what leads people into a social justice arena? Because frankly, I'm mad that I didn't get connected to any of this until much later in my life. And so hearing you say that's where you started your career, I'm a little envious of the education that you got that put you there earlier and all the education that you've had since then, probably. So what what led you into that arena? Um, Providence, I would say. My maternal grandfather is popularly known as Jadumia, and that means magic man in Bengali. Hmm. So my maternal grandfather is known as the father of the independence struggle in Bangladesh, where I'm originally from. Hmm. And he was an organizer. There's like a set of pictures where he's talking to one person on the street. And I don't know, this photographer just kept snapping. And by the time you get to the end of that, that scene there, he's got a crowd around him just listening to him. Mm. And that's why they called him magic man, because he spoke the language of the people. And mm. my mother from a very young age taught us that he would say the people are the source of all power. My mother was a politician. She was a former member of parliament. My purpose in the world I've adopted from the purposes that she exemplified in her life. So she was a member of parliament mm -hmm. specifically to serve people living in abject poverty. And she created a lot of historical and groundbreaking policy to support poor people um, living in the villages in Bangladesh is a historic election win. And basically everything I learned about life and people and what's right is from her, like 100%. And it's one of the reasons why mm -hmm. I established this foundation in her name. Mm -hmm. Because as the first daughter of 11 children. 11! 11. 11 children and the first daughter Whoa. of a revolutionary, right? My mother's name, Mukti, means liberation. Mm. So there's all these like really beautiful, historic, ancestral energy, love that sort of pushed me towards mm -hmm. movement work, right? And, uh, yeah. you know, the first, I tell this story often, right after college, we visited Bangladesh for my aunt's wedding. And so I came back early with my father. And I was like, God, I really, I got to get a job. Like, I don't have any money. I spent all this time and money on college. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta get a job. I did my resume. And literally, almost simultaneously, as I finished my resume, I got a call from a college friend that says, do you want a job? I was like, Oh, my God, I totally need a job. I just finished my resume. And it happened to be at an organization called the North Response Community and Clergy Coalition, which still exists today. And I'm working with them actually right now. 
which is a really beautiful full circle type of thing. Hmm. I got asked all of these really like, I don't know, obnoxious, obtuse questions about organizing that I could never have answered. And I was like, I'm definitely not getting this job. But I got the job because I was Bangladeshi and the community that they were looking for an organizer had 80 Bangladeshi families. So that really is just like the precipice of like this long, you know, almost 27 year commitment to social justice, specifically in New York. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, it's like the opposite of intergenerational trauma, right? It's like intergenerational liberation. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a fairly accurate way to put it. Well, yeah. It's really inspiring. And I wonder maybe if that's something that I like felt in you because the, the energy that you just bring to this work, it's just so, it's so obviously heart forward and heart centered. I don't know if that's like how you think about it, but that's how I took it in. Yeah. It's difficult for me to articulate why this is important for me. Right. And it's probably why it's difficult to articulate for me why, what I do, because it just feels like there's so much more depth that I put into it, or at least that I feel. So Absolutely. It's sort of like, I don't feel forced. It is a choice, but I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel right. that so deeply inside of every fiber of my being. So yes, I feel super blessed and grateful to be able to be doing this work. Yeah. It is such a blessing to like land in who you are, right? Who you were meant to be. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that really struck me about your presentation that I was like, oh, this is fucking brilliant is the way that you essentially use the wisdom of nature and talk about the ways that organizations either do or don't reflect how nature functions. Uh, I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that with folks. Sure. It's a little weird. I, I feel like different people respond to that a little differently. And part of that is like our conditioning, right? Mm -hmm. How we're shaped by society, particularly in the U.S. context, to like really center labor. Right. And even in our movements where either directly or indirectly, part of the ultimate longer term vision is to like dismantle these systems that are totally oppressive. And at the heart of that, Right. joined at the hip with white supremacy is capitalism. Right. And it's like, mm, you see the inherent trappings and racism and all the other isms that are sourced in capitalism, yet you burn yourself out because you're centering your labor instead of your humanity. And that, that essentially, that sort of self-exploitation is like essentially capitalistic, right? So... Right. In this sort of stream of thought, looking at particularly during, you know, we're still in this pandemic and the pandemic has taught us a lot that we're all connected and we all belong to each other and no one is safe unless everyone's safe. Yes. Even that person in the farthest part of the mm -hmm. world, right across all these seas, you're connected. We're connected. Right. And so wanting to really understand and integrate that type of methodology and how we're building our own leaderships, building collective leadership, building leadership amongst organizations in our movements to say that 
one, planet Earth is a living being, period. She will defend herself and has. Right, right. And is. And all the sort of ecosystems on planet Earth are reliant on each other. That we need bees to survive. We need trees. Right. Trees need us. There is an exchange. And then if we distill it further, the idea that our bodies, that our bodies are made up of cells. And when those cells cooperate, they create tissues. When those tissues cooperate, they create organs. And the organs cooperate and create systems within our bodies. And all of it is relying upon one another. Like if our, you know, our liver stops functioning. Mm-hmm. You know, the rest of our organs aren't going to be like, uh, yeah, we don't know what's up with the liver. Let's build a border around it. Let's cut it out. Like the body responds in a reliant fashion to say there's something wrong with our systems. Right. It's not just like one part, but we see all the systems see each other as a body, not separated. Mm-hmm. Yet when we think about how human beings, so if the earth is reliant, everything, all the ecosystems on earth are reliant, our bodies and the ecosystems within them are reliant. Why would all this reliancy then create societal systems that are actually unaligned and not reliant on each other? It's actually reliant on the suffering and the oppression of most of us. Right. It's like we didn't do our best to create a world that is aligned with who and how we are on this earth in this sort of, I mean, I could have gone broader and nerded out a little bit more around the universe and then the other universe. And then I was, no, 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 this is too much. Do it, do it, go. My listeners dig all the shit. So you go as far as you want. Yeah. I mean, the point is, is that how did we get to a place where the earth is so set on these really oppressive racist systems that come from us? Right. And that there's so much of that sort of unnaturalness, the lack of reliancy, mm-hmm. in, even in our culture, even how we relate to ourselves and each other, like right. the narratives that we tell ourselves. Especially the way we relate to ourselves. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the more identities we hold, right? Any one individual, the more oppressed that person is, right? Mm. I think there are some exceptions to that, but even people at the top of the pyramid, like old white men, are subject to white supremacy. They just are. They suffer in white supremacy. Right. Yes. They just don't see it and they don't know it. They they don't have to. Like, I hate to invoke 45, but here we go. Leader of the free world. The pinnacle of whiteness. Yes. And is a deeply self-loathing human being. 100%. No one that loves themselves does the things or says the things that he's done in his lifetime. Like the dude hates himself. And then right. he got power right. to project that hate and inflict an enormous amount of harm, like lingering harm. But that is not a reliant and it's not necessarily a normal way of being. Like we're not actually built that way. Right. Our bodies aren't built that way. And our mind, body, and hearts rely on each other. They influence each other deeply. And so we've created this chasm within ourselves. 
And then we created a culture and society around that chasm. And so we have all these ways in which we treat ourselves and each other that is just not aligned with how we're meant to be on this earth. So we have an enormous amount of work to do. Right. And I feel good about the fact that most of us are doing that work, even though it doesn't seem like it. I think most of us, hmm. even if we think about the United States, just the United States, because that's where we are. It is my deep belief that there are more of us working towards love than those working against it. Can we sit with that for just a second? Because like, yeah, yeah, I am an optimist and I want to believe that. And yet I'm having a hard time tuning into that. Like, tell me more of how you are feeling that there are more of us fighting for love than against it. And it's a really hard question because I know it's just in there. It totally is, but it's not a hard question. It's something that's hard to fathom given our sources of information. Yeah. Right? But the sources of information is external. We're not actually relying on mm. the source of wisdom in our lives, which is our body. So I feel it's not optimism. It's just an inner knowing that more people love than not. Right? Because that's not sexy. That's not dramatic it's bringing me to tears though like yeah it doesn't get reported it doesn't get reported so i think everything that is reported even on msnbc which is the only news channel i watch and i have so many critiques of it <laughs> you just get to see the horrifying stuff and there are a lot of ways in which the right i mean you know this everybody knows this the media totally influences our lives and you don't even actually have to watch any news to be influenced by that. Right, right. It's the way the system is turning. You do enough practice to change yourself to be more acutely aligned, the more openly you can feel the enormity of love, the enormity of people wanting to do good, the enormity of people wanting to be connected. You just start to tap into that in a way that well, sometimes it can be overwhelming, but you practice around creating boundaries. It's something that I feel absolutely inside of me. And, I, and again, it's like hard for me to articulate a feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's bringing me to tears? I'm sorry to cut you off there. What's bringing me to tears? Like, oh, let's see if I can articulate this. Um, feeling for me, what I've been experiencing is like feeling into the collective. I'm just tuning into the pain. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, this is really fucking deep, Rusia. Thank you so much for this. Like what I think that pain is, is grief, right? It's the distance from that love. And we must feel the grief mm -hmm. in order to feel the love. Wow. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just like stopping at that pain part. Wow. But even, even stopping at the pain part means that you are looking for love. Right. It's not that we need to go through grief to get to love. It's that we love, therefore we grieve. Therefore we grieve. Otherwise we wouldn't. Right. You know, there's a plenty of, there's plenty right. of sycophants and psychopaths that have no conscience around what they do and what their impact is. And sadly, you know, 90% of Congress fits that qualification. 
you know, Mitch McConnell's not feeling bad about the decisions right. that he makes that robs like not at all. 300 plus million people of rights. He's like, yeah, this is what I want and I'm getting it. He feels no grief because he doesn't have that interconnection. He doesn't feel the love, but right. He does not represent the majority. I mean, you can at least say that, right? Oh, absolutely. Right. Everything you feel is generative. If you just orient to that feeling, even if it's overwhelming pain and grief to a way that's true to who you are and to your nature, which is people who love grief. It doesn't happen any other way. Right. It doesn't matter what it is that you love or who it is that you love. Right. Because even folks who do harm have the capacity to love. Right. It's just not what they center in what they do. Right. Mm. Mm. Hello, everyone. I'm interrupting this amazing conversation with an invitation and request. I can't believe it, but Conversations with a Wounded Healer is nearing our 200th episode. And if you've been with me for a while, you know this podcast has been an instrumental part of my own healing journey. And I'd really love to hear more about how it's been a part of yours. So for our 200th episode, I'd love to include your voice. Just go to speak-to.us slash convos with the wounded healer, and you can leave me up to a 60-second voicemail about how this podcast has impacted you. And for our 200th episode coming up in November, I'll include your message. If you don't want to share your voice in particular, but want to drop us a message anyway, you can email assistant at headhearttherapy.com, and I'll read your message as part of this special celebration. I can't wait to hear from you. What spiritual personal work have you done in your life? I mean, I'm sure you can't sum it all up for us, but like I spend a lot of time in conversation with folks and I, I don't know, I feel that there's something really special about the frequency that you have tuned into personally that, mm-hmm. how, tell me more. <laughs> I mean, is this just how you've always moved through the world or? No. Okay. Tell me no, more. No, no. <laughs> I was super arrogant as a, a child and a young adult. Hmm. I didn't have to try as hard to be as good as everyone else. And I had, I grew up with a lot of privilege. Hmm. American school system is a lot easier if you spend a whole bunch of years in a British school system, which is a lot more harder and has higher standards. Interesting. So when we finally landed here in New York in 86, because we had, my father was a diplomat, we bounced around a bit. I was like, this is not all that. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't until I got to college where I had a lot of freedom to like really choose what I wanted to study, choose how I wanted to think. And then I had like really great influencing leaders in my life, like my mother, who it took me 30 years to figure out had never given me bad advice. And she was just always right. She like never was wrong. I was like, damn, like I just wasted 30 years of my life, mm. like not listening to this powerful woman. And honestly, this is not magic. It's practice. That's all it is. I've, I've had a daily practice for 15 years. I meditate every day for 15 years. I journal every day for 15 years. Meditation is actually the thing that actually allows me to be in the moment and to be aware of what's happening. Right. Yes. Yes. Did you hear that, folks? We've been talking about meditation. I told you it's magic. It is the thing. (laughs) It's a superpower. It's how you cultivate a superpower. It is. 
And I can distinguish between what I'm feeling, whether it's mine or somebody else's, which is like the most important thing that we need to actually do because we, yes. we have the ability to exert so much energy out into the world. It looks like you can't fathom it. What one individual can do is really hard to fathom. And I have worked to be able to fathom my, my energy and my uh, superpowers. And I am unwielding. Like, this is what I'm doing when I'm doing it. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm not taking texts. I'm not doing emails. I'm not answering any questions. And people try. Like, people try. Yeah. There is a point in my house during the pandemic, we had 10 adults and two dogs. Mm. And I was like, you know, from 8 to 1030, I do spiritual practices. I'm a Muslim. I'm a practicing Muslim. I was like, I don't want to talk to anybody during this time. Like people come into my room, they're asking me questions and I'm just like ignoring them. Mm. So I'm committed to myself in that way that, yes, that actually takes a lot of failure to get to. And I failed a lot. I know people think like there's this idea of perfection in doing anything, but to get to where I am right now required an enormous amount of failure. And I failed a lot. Some was graceful. A lot of it was not graceful. But the things that I learned in failure and rejection, I would not be where I am today without it. Yeah. Um, and it's not a joke, you know, like this. I've been noticing more and more that I'm connected to my students and my teacher training program. And then people I coach or I have intimate relationships with, like friends. And when they feel bad, I feel bad. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, why am I afraid right now? Why am I anxious? I know this doesn't belong to me. Yeah. And it only stops when I figure out who it is. I have to figure out a better way to do it because I don't always have time to figure out who it is. I was like, damn, someone in my circle is like feeling super afraid and anxious right now. And like yesterday, all day, I was like, oh my God, who is this? Like, who's, yeah. who's feeling upset? I like slacked everybody. And I found out who it was at night. And as soon as I found out who it was, it just sort of dissipated. Mm. That's not magic. That doesn't require like years and years and years of something. It requires a daily meditation practice. Maybe five minutes is really all you need. An embodiment. Yeah. So I know that I'm not thinking like, oh my God, why am I afraid? Why am I anxious? I was like, okay, I'm feeling these things in a really intense way. And it feels different when I'm anxious and afraid. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I know that it doesn't belong to me. Yeah. And then I can reach out to whoever it does belong to once I figure out who it is. <laughs> um, usually it happens right before a coaching call, right? Or like a new coaching call where yeah, someone be yeah. like, oh, my God, I was so anxious. I'm like, oh, so you were sending me all that. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Well, if I can throw in for just a second, because yeah. the way that I would hold that, like I've been doing a little witch training. And it's funny that if you're going to practice witchcraft, the first thing that all of them will tell you is you have to meditate regularly. And I've been doing it for like, I think like six years now. So I'm like totally on board. But the way that you describe that, I hear that as a psychic gift. And the thing is, is we've been putting that sort of stuff in this magical, mystical category that we don't know why it happens. It happens because embodiment. It happens because yeah. you are in tune with yourself and the world around you. Everyone has access to these gifts. And that's why they say that because it's true. Yeah. 
you just have to slow down. You just have to listen. It's like jumping on a frequency. We all have our own frequency, but all of these frequencies are a part of like one large highway of energetic frequency. And when I'm connected to the people that I'm connected to and I can deeply feel them, then I pick up. I'm like, okay, this is what's happening right now. And I can offer myself in in whatever ways that, that helps them, that helps me. Yeah. Et cetera. And it's so funny. So I run a private practice group therapy practice right now. I'm selling it to my executive director and I'm actually, I was planning on going into organizational sort of leadership, which is one of the reasons I'm like, I need to learn from this beautiful human. And I've been thinking about what is it that I think has made me an effective leader. And it's what you're sharing is this being able to tune into whether something's mine or something someone else's. Mm -hmm. And then once we have that information, it's a lot easier to know what to do with that than, you know, everyone running around blaming other people or being defensive and and whatnot. And that's to be a leader and have that skill. You talk about like, if you change yourself, you're going to change the world. That's that's it. That is yeah. how we lead from the inside out. Absolutely. Woo! It's accessible, which is what is really important to me. Everyone can create five minutes Yes. in their life. I truly believe this because there's so few things in life that we have actual power and control over. Mm-hmm. And five minutes of our day, I believe, is something we can reclaim for ourselves And then just like the benefits just far outweigh any time costs. Absolutely. Along the way. (laughs) Right. And I guess I'll just say for listeners who maybe haven't heard, I did a thing on meditation, like right at the very beginning of this podcast, almost five years ago, but meditation isn't clearing your mind. It's just being with the present moment, following where your mind goes and going, oh, okay, let's go back to the anchor. That's it. Yeah. It's not as difficult as like, I think all of the whitewashing has put on it, right? Of course, of course, white people made it goal-oriented, right? Yeah, I mean, funny and not funny at the same time. I mean, I have a Reverend Angel narrated a video that I did called Mind the Gap, which is basically my adaptation of a meditation practice for social change agents. Mm. But no one tells you what successful meditation is. They right. just say, breathe. Right. Well, what the fuck? I breathe all the time anyway. Right. Like, am I meditating then? Right. Or I have to read a book or I have to go to a class. It's like, no. Successful meditation is just returning to the point. Yes. You could do that once and you're good to go. Like, you're just good to go. Right. And people are like, oh, have you ever counted to 10? I'm like, yeah, I've counted to 10 and then surpassed that because my brain is just like, girl, keep counting. Keep counting. So because I don't know what you're doing. This feels unsafe. Mm -hmm. Are you in mortal danger? But really, I've never gotten past counting to four Mm. before something hits me. But I notice it right away. Right. And then I come back to the breath. And that's how I know that I'm good at meditation because I don't attach all these like all or nothing scenarios, which also is not just how our bodies are. Our bodies are not all or nothing. The earth is not all or nothing. Our ecosystems are not all or nothing. It's just like, okay, adapt, 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 adapt. Absolutely. 
So yeah. Yes. Ugh. Meditation. Oof. Okay. Where do we want to go from here? I'm just so excited to be with you. <laughs> like, I feel my heart chakra is like right now. Amazing. Yeah. Feels good to be connected to you. Thank you. Likewise. Oh, thank you. I hope you're giving yourself a lot of credit. <sighs> say more. How you feel is, is what you're allowing yourself mm. to feel. Oof. We often say like, Oh my God, Rusi, I feel so great. Thanks. Like yeah. people thank me for the work that they do all the time. Like, dude, I yeah. did nothing. I literally did nothing. It's like, you're, we're in a room together. And all I said was like, what if there's another door? Right. You found the door, you opened the door, you walked through the door, you did all the work. Right. So should you be thanking me or should you be thanking yourself? So I'm going to take that one step further and say relationship, right? Because mm -hmm. it's just like the therapy relationship, I think is what we're talking about, right? My clients say, thank you for everything you've done. And I say exactly the same thing to them. I didn't do anything, but what I've been trying to allow myself to sit in is that it was the synergy of the relationship. It was the connection that we built together. And yes, each of us being able to express love, take in love that makes it magical. I think that's absolutely correct. Absolutely right. It's a little nuanced in the work that I do, yeah. particularly in coaching, particularly in training, yeah. is that I don't want people to have the narrative or even the thought or feeling that they need somebody else to get to where they got to. Yeah. Same in therapy. Yeah. I just want them to know. I was like, it's you. You chose to come here. Mm -hmm. You chose to do the practices. You chose your change path and you walk that path and you're walking that path mm -hmm. and you don't need anybody to be the living embodiment of your values. Right. You only need yourself and the desire to want to do it. Right. And practice. Right. And practice. Right. Right. And practice. Right. Well, and this leads to the question, and I'm very curious your answer. Do you consider yourself a healer in the work that you do? I've been told by spiritual people that I have a lot of energy for healing and that I should do something about it. And da 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 da. <laughs> um, I certainly have healing methodologies that are integrated into my work. I don't necessarily see myself as a healer. I mean, the closest word that I could find is a catalyst. Yeah, I like that. Like that thing before the spark, mm. right? Mm. I don't know what that thing is. Something. Yeah. Well, in astrology, they talk about like Aries is that. A lot of people think that Aries is the fire, but it's the thing. It's the ign ignite. I can't, I'm not in the right tense for it, but the ignition. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's that unnameable thing that we can't right. seem to put our finger on right now. Right. Right. It's just so tiny. It's just so tiny, but, uh, right. It has to mix with whatever somebody else is bringing to create the spark. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm hmm. You can't just have one piece of Flint. You have to have the other, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there are real healers in the world. I believe in that. I've had the privilege of seeing a lot of people and being around and learning from a lot of people that are real healers. I also just think like these titles sort of attach something that most folks find inaccessible. Right. I'm really just like some chick that decided that <laughs> was going to like, I wanted to live a really authentic life. I wanted to do it on my own yeah. terms. 
Yeah. I didn't want to compromise myself for anything or anyone. And I do, I compromise myself for my family all the time, but it's a choice that I make because yes, mm -hmm. my body is made from their bodies, like literally. Yeah. And I have a twin sister. So like, that's just my relationship <gasps> to my family is really different. Damn. Yeah. I have an identical twin sister, genetic doubles. I'm jealous of that. I desperately wanted to be a twin when I was a child. I don't know why. Parent Trap. I was obsessed. All those versions were really good movies, but I know what it's like to, <laughs> like I shared my mother's room with another human being, right? Right. Literally. Mm -hmm. So I have a natural inclination to want to share the things that have worked for me. Yeah. And also share the whole bunch of stuff that hasn't worked for me. Right. And it's rare that I will tell people to practice without having my own practices. Exactly. I don't tell people to practice something that I haven't tried out or practiced myself. I don't teach people things that I haven't done myself because I think there's too much importance put on theoretical knowledge, but it's the experiential knowledge that actually changes us. Exactly. That makes us wiser. I, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's where I live. <laughs> That's where I am. Right. Right. Yeah, that's funny. Everything that you're saying about like authenticity and you didn't say it this way, but it's like walking the talk instead of just talking the talk. Like that's absolutely the way that I've always wanted to be and continue to, I hate the word strive because I feel like that's very capitalistic, but I think when it's mm -hmm. in more of a spiritual sense that it feels yeah okay to me. I feel okay with strive. It's like your vision, you're reaching for it. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Well, how about the term wounded healer? How does that sit with you? I mean, I like it. It feels very indigenous to me. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a very honest way of looking at who healers are, who healers can be. Mm -hmm. Because this world wounds us all throughout our lives. Yeah. And we can be okay with not just accepting that. We can actually do something about it. It feels like it. A truthful story. Wounded healer. Mm -hmm. Feels like an honest sort of like, here it is. Like we don't have to hide behind any veil. Yeah. So I, needless to say, I, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, the time has flown so fast. I want to make sure to give you an opportunity to share like how, if people are interested in what you're saying, how do they take some of your courses? How do they get in contact with you? What are you offering right now? Yeah, I'm getting ready to go on a break because I'm tired. Starting a little past mid-July and then returning on the other side of Labor Day, God willing. I don't hide anything all my number, my email, everything that I offer, all my writings, they're just on my website. <laughs> like if you spend any, like any short or long amount of time on my website, you'll find a whole bunch of stuff. You can reach out to me. I take the act of people reaching out fairly seriously. So I always respond to my emails mm -hmm. and I have a few things that I'm looking to do in the fall. I'm just trying to balance the whole virtual versus in person. And I haven't landed yet, but that's a good way to be like, what's she about? What's, I want to 
what's she doing in the world? What else is she doing in the world? So that's a good place. Universalpartnership.org is a good place to go check me out. Yeah. And I am even more excited now for the Embodied Social Justice Leadership Track that I signed up for and will be spending uh, two weekends with you oh, yeah. and Stacey Haynes, right? Yes. 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 Oh, yes. I am. Yeah. I have like butterflies in my stomach now, but I'm so excited. The depth track should be, I put a lot of love into it. Stacey put a lot of love into it. We've worked together before. So inshallah, y'all will get, you get some doses of good collaboration and some juicy stuff. I bet. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I'll thank myself, right, for being open to feeling all the feelings today. But but seriously, thank you for your time and just everything that, that you are. It's like, it's not what you're doing. It's sort of just, you're just you and being the most you that you can be, you're creating a lot of positive ripples in the world. I hope so. That's kind of you to say. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Rusia for being a guest on today's show. To learn more about Rusia and her work, you can visit us at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. As always, thanks to Andrea Klunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.